is a storyteller, a media producer, and consultant currently working for Southern Oregon PBS, as well as a variety of other media makers. Those who know her often think of her producing abilities with successful arts projects like the Ladies Are Funny Festival, Laugh, from Austin, Texas, Bedpost Confessions, a storytelling show focused on sexuality, relationships, and gender, and Unspoken, a storytelling series focused on different topics such as death, illness, and parenthood. She is a staunch advocate for the LGBTQ community as well as anything pertaining to sexuality or the body. My guest is Julie Gillis. I'm Aiden Nepom, and this is The Changed Podcast. Welcome. You are officially you and you're here on the show. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's good to see your face. <laughs> it's great to see your face. I um, uh, I will fill the listeners in on two fun facts. One, we used to perform together like a decade ago because mm. <laughs> time is unkind and that it moves quickly <laughs> forward. Um, and fun fact number two, you live in my hometown where I grew up, where I no longer have mm-hmm. any family. I'm not, I'm no longer That's attached right. to Ashland, uh, which is where you are. Yeah, we did. We performed in musical improv and then in long form narrative improv, doing all kinds of um, fun things. There's a fun video of us doing Apocalypse uh, I will put the promo video for uh, for that improv show. I on know the, in the show notes for this because it is it is delightful. And my kids are in it. Both of the boys are in it when they were teenitesy, Evan and, and Owen. And they're adults now, basically. Yeah, both they are basically. big monster children. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful so, boys. That's pretty wild. Um, yeah. So yeah, so you're. You're in Oregon and you're like, you're in Oregon. You are in um, a hotbed of activism and you Mm -hmm. are involved. Do you want to tell me a little bit about your role at PBS and what you've been keeping busy doing? Sure. Um, Yeah, we moved here about four and a half years ago from Austin, Texas. And I am the development director for Southern Oregon PBS, which means I help the station raise money, find major donors and have those have support for all of those people who are generous and um, so kind to give us gifts and support. As well as, um, you know, I work with, our, we have a small team, so I work with our team on all different kinds of projects and grants and finding ways to tell some local stories for our region. And um, so that's a pretty exciting job to have. And then I also, um, I'm, I'm a volunteer with a number of organizations down here. One's the Rogue Action Center, and they provide a lot of activism and advocacy around housing and racial justice and LGBTQ justice, and um, as well as uh, involved with the Planned Parenthood uh, down here in southwestern Oregon. And, um, you know, getting up to what, and parenting, getting up to whatever I can can do as a as a resident because I'm pretty usually pretty politically active like that. How has your activism changed uh, over the course of this mm. year? So we're in 2021 now, um, mm. and as of this recording, we're right in the beginning of 2021. Though you know, as you're listening to this episode, you're probably listening to it in the springtime. But how 
how did you f- adapt during the course mm-hmm. of this? Did it, was it different? Was it the same? Oh, um, so I, I was actually having a conversation about this very topic at noon today. Uh, so it's really interesting that you asked that question. Um, so I've always used the internet a lot. I'm very much on the internet and was on a lot of social media channels early. So that part actually hasn't changed too dramatically other than realizing that there are limits, really big limits to internet activism. But what I've what I've really grappled with in terms of being more isolated and living a much more um, like almost monastic life, mm-hmm. like up and mm-hmm. food and work and wash the dishes and take care of family, um, much more almost ritualistic on a daily basis, kind of the very same things, uh, is that um, <clears throat> there's so much to grapple with. There's mm-hmm. so much upheaval happening um, that maybe taking care of family or taking care of self is a role that I wouldn't have actually considered a few years ago, hmm. right? So we, if we look at storytelling and Western storytelling narratives, we have the hero's journey. It's very famous, Joseph Campbell. It's very individualistic. Mm-hmm. It assumes you are the hero <laughs> of any story you're in as opposed to being a sidekick or a supplementary character, or perhaps even the antagonist, because uh-huh. for everybody's hero, somebody else might be the one in the way, and <laughs> someone's the villain. And- oh, isn't there that great, there's that great song, um, I'm blanking on the name of the show, the one where she discovers she's the villain, the um, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Mm, who watched, mm-hmm, who watched I can't series? remember. Yes, yes, but I don't. I, I know what you're talking it's, about. It started uh, out very strong, but there's a whole song in like the second or third season where she discovers that she's uh, the bad guy. <laughs> oh, she's the villain. This whole time she thought she was the hero right. in the story. Right. And and so um, because we have a very individualized uh, format that we fit ourselves into. Social media is beautiful for that because you get your own platform, your own tweets, your own Instagram, your own selfies, <laughs> your own pictures, your own story, your own PR. And that's fun and, and it's certainly addictive because we all do it. Um, yeah. What that can mean is when you're isolated and you can't be out in the world, A, how does anybody know you're doing anything? Mm-hmm. And B, what if the most important thing that you could do is chop wood and carrying water, right? What is the most important thing you can do is to to feed your family or feed your neighbor, even if nobody knows about it. What if we spend all this time taking care of the world and we forget about taking care of ourselves? Um, You know, I've gone through some medical, four surgeries in two years and my body isn't the same as it used to be. My energy level isn't the same as it used to be. So how do I um, kind of grieve the letting go of like the Julie of 10 years ago when we were doing right. improv together and I was in 15 shows and I was raising little kids and I was working full time and also protesting, doing whatever yeah. to the Julie, the Julie of today that might um, sit with someone and talk to them. And that is actually more impactful work because of whatever that happened within that I'm secret actually- quiet. I'm a deep, deep, deep believer in um, the value of one-on-one conversations. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, It seems to me that a lot of what shows up in um, 
social media in particular, and I'm sure it shows up in other forms as well, um, but this sort of like the things that feel good to say or are catchy um, mm. are not necessarily mind changers, but conversations yeah. with people who you have mm. relationships with can be deeply impactful. People mm-hmm. see things in a different way when you sit down and you're just like, hey, I love and trust you, but also you just said this thing that totally shocked me. We should talk about it. And they're like, what? what? I don't about? Know. Yeah, they're like, I didn't want to say anything shocking. What are you talking about? And then you discover right. something in there. There's just a lot more question, question back and forth and visual cues when you're having yeah. a one-on-one conversation, which when you're on Facebook, having an argument is more about scoring points, obviously. And I'm right. totally guilty of that as I think, I mean, <laughs> I mean I'm we're a, all human. It's we like, all, yeah. It's like a it, endorphin rush when you say something and you're like, yeah. <laughs> it reminds totally me though, like <laughs> when we, when we would do long form improv together and like uh, apocalypse, which is the show we were referencing earlier yeah. is like, it was a show set in the apocalypse. And every week there was a new hero, an actor playing a hero and an actor playing a villain, but then everybody else was whatever characters. But what improv did, at least for me and how I was learning storytelling, was that we all had to work as a whole unit while realizing we had individual parts and that the story may not go in the direction you think it's going to go in. And maybe that's better than the direction Mm -hmm. you thought it was going to go in. And that sometimes there's assigned roles and sometimes there's not. And, um, And so that actually really can inform a different way of looking at the world. Like, I wonder what social media might look like if, if it was um, less like this, really, even though it feels broad, I think it really is kind of like my feed versus supporting someone else's feed. I don't know. There are ways to get a broader snapshot in social media, but you have to actively seek that out, like joining Mm -hmm. a Facebook group that is specifically identified as other to your perspective Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. you know um like if you lean one way politically to join a facebook group that is the opposite politically with the goal of understanding their perspective Mm -hmm. not of changing all of their minds because you do you know i've seen i've seen it work where you're it's helpful to be informed. And then I've also seen it work the other way where people show up and they're like, but actually here's, you're all stupid. And here's, here's a meme that proves it or whatever. And then they get booted out of the group. And Mm -hmm. so it's like, there are ways to broaden your perspective, but you have to really work at it. Yeah. I think too, like when, when I was coming of age on the internet, we had more long form dialogue sites yeah. like live journal or blogging long yeah. posts and like medium is a little bit more like that now yeah. um twitter is interesting because it can you can become a main character on the internet if you do something really great or really <laughs> terrible yeah right and um and facebook sort of can have these group processes which can be interesting but it just really depends on the algorithm i don't know i'm actually i mean i'm enthralled i'm enthralled with the internet and tiktok and all of the creative funny ways it can be used like it's genius for comedy um but it also can you know it can also tell a very particular kind of story and the way just to circle back i think the way that my my view of activism has had to change both because of like aging and having physical um, 
not limitations, but um, where you're you're sort of <laughs> like Galadriel diminishing and going <laughs> going into the west of, of menopause or middle age or whatever it is. Um, you know how you how you can how you like uh, what matters. It doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily have to be about like uh, my story. Who's who else's story? Could I just be a support for or a chorus for? Right. Um. I love this idea, Julie. I love that you're thinking about storytelling and how it shows up in these individual streams of interaction. That what a cool way to think about the world. It makes me think about, um, you know, we're raising a little a little one. She just turned eight on oh January first, and um, so much of what we do is about making her the hero in her own story which she mm-hmm. um a hundred percent buys into that she is the hero in her own story <laughs> of course, so well. it's not a difficult sell but yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's like our experience through 2020 was a lot about like making sure that she had a fantabulous year um mm-hmm. and that she felt smart successful entertained fun part of oh, a yeah. unit you know like we really thought about her experience a lot yeah, and trusted that ours would fall into place, and which, which it did, because, you, you know, as you're pointing out, like, there's all these characters that make up a story, mm-hmm. and when you're in an improv narrative, long form improv show, or the equivalent of a made up on the spot play is another way mm-hmm. to think about that. Um, as a player, you really do start to understand the value of playing these support mm-hmm. roles and helping to feed the mm-hmm. story, the important story, mm-hmm. as opposed to the importance of self. I know. And like, even in, in an improv, improv show, you might need to be, you might need to take on the character of like the tree in the woods that they have to turn left at. Right. <laughs> and then that changes the whole story. And you were just a tree. You were yeah. not doing anything. Maybe you drop an apple or whatever. It's funny, but yeah. it's like, if you didn't play that tree, then the rest of the story wouldn't happen. You know, and so that's, it's super valuable. It's, I think there could be a whole podcast series on like parenting all these different ages through this (laughs) pandemic because eight, uh, it's almost like you can create this sort of magic world that she's had to live in, right? But Mm -hmm. 17 and 21 year olds are grappling with so much difference. And so we're talking, like the 17 year old is thinking about He's just on the cusp of dating and just on the cusp yeah. of like trying to trying to live his social life. And the 21 year old's like, oh, what is this world? Right. <laughs> I should even finish college. You know, Existential <laughs> angst. Yeah. And, yeah. And, but he, he's like, oh, I don't know. You know, and so it's like you have to try to get them to think about history or think about yeah. the beginnings of what service means into a world while honoring that you know they don't necessarily always think you know what you're talking about because mm-hmm. that's like the age too right, right? they're very like, much in the figure it out for themselves stage of the game right i mean yesterday we were like maybe we should try to get some land and just build a compound <laughs> and like live completely differently than we thought we would be living like i have we're not all living made that choice yeah like i thought they'd be running off to new york or la and they're like mm so who knows the timing's not great for it not anymore (laughs) right so even if you lived in LA you'd just be in your house so 
Yeah. Yeah. It's the, I Yeah. Literally, I have friends who are like, we're going to buy a piece of property out in the country that is within an hour commute of the city. Mm-hmm. And if we ever need to come into the city again, we'll be able to. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's yeah. the... That's the idea. They're like, uh, but also we're, you know, they're pretty convinced. And I think they're right that um, there will be, you know, the tendrils of this experience will last longer than the experience itself. And so we will be able to work from home more Mm -hmm. um, if people want to, I think. Yes. I think people have discovered what it feels like to get to take a nap in the afternoon, even if they are working. Yeah. Or to start work at five in the morning and end it two in the afternoon just because it's yeah. you can so how are yeah. we going to maneuver how we work where we work who we work with i'm curious um prior to this year just in a general generally broad terms how would you have classified your thoughts about uh change and adaptation what are your, what was your own thinking about this broad concept i think i i think i learned to turn on a dime pretty early in life, actually, that um, my dad died when I was almost nine and he had a heart attack Mm. in front of me. And then we moved. And I think that kind of set a stage where I just sort of realized things could sharply turn. Wow. And it didn't necessarily turn me into um, a stubborn fixed person. And it didn't turn me into an, an uncommitted person either. I was in theater and I loved theater because it was always a new thing, mm-hmm. right? You have a play, you audition, you get into it, you do the work, you have this experience, it's over, and then you get to do it again. You get to do a new play. Yeah. And, you know, I moved to Seattle and it was all new and all different, a big city. And then story arc is kind of happening. Is that a good time to talk about that story? Totally. Arc? Is this your? Are we? This is your story. We, this could, is your we could be in the story. We could. That's why I wanted to check if it was okay <laughs> to, to do it. I am curious before you yeah. uh-huh. d- dive into the story. So um, sometimes when I ask people to pick a story for this show, um, to choose one fork in the road moment, they find that to be exceedingly challenging. They're like, (laughs) I have 30 stories I want to tell. It's really hard to pick one. I'll just figure it out when I get there. I don't know. And other people, when I ask them to pick that story, it's like, they know exactly. Bing! It's this story. Um, Was it challenging to pick no, that I'd say that's that fork in the the fork in the road that I'm about to talk about is was came to my mind very quickly. This moment was kind of a pretty important moment for me, so um, it it came to mind quickly. Okay, I'm excited. Okay, I'm going to get comfy right. and I'm put my oohs and ahs aside for slightly. Um, and yes, please, if you would tell us a story of a. Uh, yeah, this fork okay. in the road moment. So, um, so we moved to my husband and I moved to Austin, Texas in 1998, and he was going to graduate school. And I got a job at this wonderful um, nonprofit that was part of the Austin State Hospital, which was a pretty cool, interesting job to have because we were supporting all of these um, these uh, folks who had. Um, mental illness, mental health concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a good job and I enjoyed it. It was right downtown Hyde Park and, uh, and that was all going 
I'd say pretty well adapting to living in a new place. And I had a, got pregnant, had a baby, Owen. And I left that job to stay at home with him because I thought romantically at the time that that was sort of what needed to happen. Uh-huh. And um, and that actually was maybe not a good decision because I missed that job a lot and I had to wander a long time before I found another job that I really liked. But then um, I got a job at UT and I had another baby, Evan. And with Evan, I had really bad postpartum depression. And I don't mean just like the kind of sad for a couple months after you have a baby, but he had colic and he, um, uh, he never slept and I never slept. And my mother was considering, I guess she moved to town. And so it just got, it was all just this jamble of like difficult things. And so I wound up in this postpartum depression, which was diagnosed as almost postpartum psychosis. I don't necessarily need your your listeners to go down too far of a rabbit hole about postpartum psychosis, but it, it is a real um, it's a real mental health concern because you can think that you should kill yourself, you should think mm. you could kill your child. There is a woman in Houston whose name is escaping me, but this is about twenty something years ago, twenty thirty years ago, killed like six her six children. You may remember yes. this. She had postpartum psychosis, and after each child, she got worse. And the doctors even had told her not to have any more children, but they did because of their spiritual path. Anyway, so <laughs> so postpartum depression can be marked by being sad. Um, you're really adapting. There's a lot of identity stuff that goes on with being a new parent. Um, your body is definitely bouncing back. You're uh, estrogen and um, progesterone uh, balances are realigning themselves. And so it's almost like you've been cut off from a particular drug right after you have this baby. Postpartum depression that gets worse can be marked by insomnia, agitation, hypervigilance, um, paranoia, and if it gets worse, of course, you can start to, you know, really go go into a, a bad place. And so I was kind of not quite in the bad place, but like flirting with the bad place, I guess, you know, I wasn't sleeping. And I mean, when I say not sleeping, I mean, like I could do two shots of whiskey, take a Benadryl, you know, whatever it was, nothing. Right. Um, and so and I kind of got to this point where I was like, the idea of hurting myself is rather entertaining. And then I was like, that's not right. <laughs> and it wasn't. <laughs> it was not right. And then we eventually, I went to see my, you know, my obstetrician and she was like, okay, yeah, put the baby down. <laughs> um, you need to get on some SSRIs and we need to take care of you. And for about a month, I was like, that's not right. I need to be the perfect mother and I need to breastfeed and I need to be like, but I was super hypervigilant. I couldn't, I couldn't unhook. And then I, I did start taking SSRIs and that was like an almost immediate positive shift. Wow. Which I, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Um, and then in all of that though, at the same time was like this whole, a lot of identity stuff, like I'm just a mom or I'm, I don't have anything in my life that besides the babies and like, 
taking care of bills or whatever that is Mm -hmm. uh, um, mine. I hadn't done theater for like four years, five years, maybe, maybe even longer. And my husband and I went to the hideout and we watched a Star Trekking, which is an adaptation of Star Trek. Uh And I was just like, oh, and Chris was like, oh, you could do that. (laughs) And I was like, could I? And so uh, I signed up for a class at the hideout and it uh, was, um, I took the 101, 201, 301, 401 probably. And it was like, I immediately started feeling a connection back to myself. It's downtown, you know, at night, jumping across the street, you know, going out for drinks, having this thing that felt like being, again, like back in my twenties and being creative. And I could do it. I was funny, right? It was, it was a skill set that was like, ah, oh, here I am, swimming again. You know, like I remember how to do this. And then that led to being, you know, in in a troupe with you, mm-hmm. and singing, doing musical improv, which was super fun. From there, we all started doing the Ladies Are Funny Festival. Yeah, because we were like, we're funny. Lynn, we're ladies. <laughs> we should have a festival. And so we did, right? We met all these cool people who are like doing cool things now, you know? And and it was like all the, a series of like kind of yes anding into a feeling of being able to be really like, um, like powerful is kind of the wrong word, but um, competent, really competent, mm-hmm. which was the opposite of what post, that postpartum depression felt like. We're just feeling isolated or um, alone in a new city. And, um, you know, and I made lots of friends throughout that process. And so when we, when we made the decision to move here, I've been able to, I think, employ those skills, right? Like that choice point of deciding, you know, I will say, I will, I will go take a class. I will go be reinvigorated and be playful as hat, you know, that was something that has provided me with skills that help me in production. It helps, helps me when I'm, you know, working in a, a television arena. It helps me like literally when I'm doing a, a live pledge show and I'm staring at my face in a, t- in a camera and I'm trying to remember what to say next, <laughs> whatever. Um, but moving here, you know, it was like, that was another piece of it was, um, mm-hmm how do you find new friends? How do you find new playmates? How do you find all your resources? And then when I, when I did settled in here, um, lo and behold, I wound up having to have surgery for, um, like I had a hysterectomy because I had some structural problems going on. And then the next, the next year I had, um, it's called a ductal carcinoma in in situ which is a pre-cancer in the breast which is like a cancer that could turn into something much worse and I had to have two surgeries actually for that and you know there was a lot of like how do I yes and those experiences how do I change with that how do I I'm not in my 20s anymore I'm not in my 30s anymore I'm not really in my 40s anymore how do I um how do I you know say well where this is happening now Mm -hmm. like this is happening now (laughs) and and that to me is like 
one of the most important things about the concept of change is that you can fight it. And sometimes, sometimes fighting it might actually be the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. But quite often, like with this pandemic, you've got to be like, well, this, this is, is happening. happening. Mm-hmm. I'm working from home. My kid is doing Zoom from home. We are uh, more agitated than we normally would be. This is happening. Okay, it's okay to be depressed for three days. It's okay to nap. It's okay to um, wear the same outfit for four days in a row. We don't have to hold to an old way. We can just go. Um, this is this is what is happening. We cannot stop that thing from happening. We can only change our reactions to it and right. improv and dance through it. And so that like that moment back in um, 2004, I think, was really informative, you know, it really, it really, um, it gave me skills and it gave me the confidence to, to move out of a bad emotional situation. And it was just fun. <laughs> but it also, I mean, it, it, it was a, tra- it sent me on a trajectory. Yes. Oh, I mean, it sounds like an entire journey to present day was sparked by a, a single sh- going to see start trekking which is pretty i think kevin miller was in that show thank and you kevin sean, miller sean, sean in that yeah show. and andy crouch and yeah probably i mean probably in that show yeah Even i mean everybody was in that show i think oh more than likely yeah and like because back and then all... i think he was in every show yeah <laughs> i just think yeah i think i think um what's been interesting living here in ashland is that it is a tiny town. It is. It's not the tiniest town. It's not like Northern Exposure tiny. Um, <laughs> well, it was when I was a kid. It was a population yeah. of 12,000. But yeah, yeah, it's but it's like 20,000, 19,000. Yeah. But it is really different. Northwest is different than Southwest. Small town is different than really big urban city. Yeah. And I've, you know, how you... And we don't have like five improv theaters doing different shows that you can kind of get involved with. (laughs) Right. You know, and I don't have the energy for that necessarily anyway. Um, But so like I've had to, I've had to redefine again. You've been through like change after change after change after change. And when I hear you (laughs) talking about, um, you know, the improv mindset that the gift that you were given to help you shift gears at this Mm -hmm. low point. Do you ever feel like sometimes it's too much adapting? I Mm. I don't know if that's the right question, but it's a thought that I have occasionally that like that there's a balance to be struck. Change is going to keep happening. It's going to happen at whatever pace it's happening. You can be the spark behind it or you can be the um, receiver of what's happening. But it, I, I don't know what the alternative would be. To yeah, be fair. <laughs> like, that's not an, like I mean, you could be like, I'm gonna put the brakes on. Like, I will not get surgery. Thank you. I'll just say <laughs> I'm totally everything's fine. Like, you, right, I right. Mean, I mean, I don't know. So, like, here's the other. So, here's the. Let's talk about the the really consistent parts of my life. Because then, because I, you know, because I'm an an actor at heart, you might yeah. people might see more of that the narrative dramatics. And I don't even think I'm that dramatic on Facebook, but I might tell you my story. 
and that's going to sure. involve a thing. But I don't say, you know, Chris and I have been married for like 25 years well, together for 27, you, you know, I do say yeah. that I do. I mean, I point it out on the internet, but like, that's a very, <laughs> that's a very consistent piece yeah. of my life. I have a great relationship with my mother-in-law and my father-in-law who live here and, you know, they've been in their same home for this whole time. And so there's like, there's right. roots and connection there. And, um, and I've been a performer since I was a young person. So that's, that hasn't changed. And I have these children in my life that, mm-hmm. you know, one's almost 21 years old. So, so that's a rich, solid line. And, and like I was saying, one of the things this year has been for me is it's a very monastic, consistent right. day in, you know, get up, go from the bed to the kitchen, the kitchen to the office, the office to the, you know, to make your own lunch, to clean your own lunch, to get with the kids. It's like, don't go out. We're not going out. Mm-hmm. You know, whereas when I, when I was, you know, you, you know, when we were, especially when we were in Austin, like meet you for lunch, go downtown, do this, do, 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 do. you oh, know, yeah. like your life would have been like zip, zap, zip, zip all over the map. <laughs> like my map movements are like, I, right? yeah, totally. I totally, I reflect back on um, life as a performer in my 30s, and mm-hmm. I'm stunned at how much activity there was and how little downtime. Yeah. But, yeah. but there wasn't no downtime. I'm, I, I, it's like stunning. I can't. My brain can't even fathom what that life was like because I got. I mean, I had work that I did. Mm-hmm. I had sewing projects that I did. Mm-hmm. I had. I, I, I oh, yeah. also was meeting people out and teaching classes and going out for drinks and yeah. like, yeah, I, I cannot fathom how it was possible to drive around that town back and forth as oh many times God. as I did as well. Like how, in that traffic, how did oh that God, work? That like, how is that? It's like, this is what I mean by time feels so strange to me. You know, mm-hmm. these days mm-hmm. I'll wake up. And when I feel like it, which is great. And then I get my coffee and then I go to sit down at my desk and it's been two hours and I went literally nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> but my kitchen. Yeah. Like, we, what is that? <laughs> we, we could, you, I could leave my house in Windsor Park to go to a bedpost show and it could take me 40 minutes to drive two miles. Right. Yeah. Because of whatever it was the traffic and the how many people, the density. And so, I mean, just, I guess in, in answer to that question, there has been a lot of change. Like I have, I am, I've had a, some mercurial aspects to my life, but I do think there are grounded pieces. Like I have some consistencies, like I've always done performing. I've always really been focused on how performing works with community, right? So the storytelling that I've done, the Ladies Are Funny Festival is a great example. It wasn't enough just to be like, I'm doing a show twice a week. It was like, let's <laughs> let's have these women do this thing. And like, I was always really proud. It wasn't a big festival. It wasn't like huge. It was six years worth, but it wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't like a South by Southwest situation. But, you know, <laughs> there were some really incredible, like Holly Lorca, Um, incredible performer who's written a book now after doing that plus bedpost and 
Um, Selena Kopik, who's got a great yeah. podcast if you're into scented candles. Oh, she And she's just so funny and beautiful. And, and Lauren Lapkus and Sarah Benincasa and mm-hmm. um, just all these really great people who are in the world. And Aparna Mancharla, you know, um, Carrie Lendo, who was a producer for a really long time and was yeah. just like really just lovely people doing lovely things. And so that actually is very meaningful to me and to have little pot and bedposts is full of people like that. And um, I'm working with a whole lot of really amazing activists, not so much artists here right now, but mm-hmm. activists and, and they're just doing really good work. And so community is a consistent piece, even yeah. though there's change around it, right? There's maybe a new setting or a new format, but your sense of community and activism, uh, was really uh, has always been such a big part of you from my experience mm-hmm. of you. Um, and I don't, I don't know if you know this, you probably know this, but um, the ladies are funny festival and my relationship with it um, my, changed my uh, understanding of feminism um, conversations with you about the festival <laughs> changed my understanding of feminism and no. how I identified um, because when I first auditioned to be part of this improv group with you that you were already in and that was already producing this festival that I didn't know about <laughs> and I got cast and then we had rehearsal and then like within a month or something, there was this like, let's sit down and talk about the festival and we'll have some initial planning meetings. And I was like, what, <laughs> uh, I auditioned to be part of a performance group, not a festival planning committee. That's uh, one of them oh. high, highfalutin activist situations. <laughs> Sorry. And, you, and I you was were like, like, this is work down. that matters. And this is what this trip is about. And I was like, I was like, hang on, hang on, hang on. But it's a women in comedy festival. Like, do we even need that? That was my feeling oh, yeah. at that time. There were a lot, we, of, lot of ladies who said that, as I recall, on many a, th- a thread <laughs> on the Austin Improv Forum that were heated. Back to when which I say how we talk to each other. Oh, my I, goodness. Goodness I, gracious. I mean, I did not have a concept of, um, A, a need for feminism. I was like, we already solved this. This is solved. (laughs) I, Aiden, feel great in the world that I live in. Gender is not an issue for me. And so, therefore, it is not an issue for anybody. (laughs) Right? Hero in my own story. I was like, I don't have problems advocating for myself. And nobody treats me terribly. And I would never get hurt. And everything is fine. (laughs) So, why do we need a comedy (laughs) festival? And... um, And it was the conversations with you and with Mo, who also uh, was a guest on this show. Yes, um, sure. And who you still maintain a close friendship with. I do. Um, but the, it was the conversations with you that uh, mm-hmm. totally changed my perspective on the on the value of something like that and how um, how important it can be and the evidence for it being people's negative reactions to its existence um, right was that was a particularly impactful observation to share with me and then once that first festival that I was part of took place and I saw the talent that showed up for this festival and sitting in the audience and hearing the conversations that happened as a result Mm -hmm. um I was like oh I oh I get it thank you for sharing that with me that's 
That's yeah. really, it's really kind for you to share that with me. One thing yes anding gets you is when someone calls you in mm-hmm. to say, okay, but what about you go instead of saying, but we can't include these people because the, the, the poster won't work. You say, right. oh my gosh, let's make a new poster. Let's actually yeah. sit with people and, and be like, oh gosh, I was actually leaving you out. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Right. And that to me is, um, that can be the, the joy of like utilizing improv and, and you've seen this cause you do work in corporations or mm-hmm. work, you know, doing any kind of work with a group where a group system can get stuck. Yeah. We've always done it like this. We've always, we've all, we, this is the mythos and the story and the narrative. And you can be like, but, and you know, yes. <laughs> and you can add a new chapter. Mm-hmm. You can try something a little bit different. And even if it doesn't work, you can also do it the old way again. You know, it's been really interesting um, because of the work that I do. Um, I, you know, I have I have clients on all sides of the political spectrum, and I'd like to keep it that way because I, mm-hmm. I enjoy hearing these differing views. But what I hear as a result is all these different places where um, change feels like a sticking point. And it mm. isn't always about life moves. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like sometimes it's about somebody else's life moves feel sticky to me because I have to change something. Oh, gosh, that we just had a family meeting yeah. yesterday about some things which are too mundane to be interesting right now. But, <laughs> you know, Owen was like, well, why don't we do X? And Evan and I went, <gasps> and then Owen was like, I think that's worth examining based on your reaction. <laughs> right. I was like, Damn by it. you. Damn it. <laughs> hmm. But you know, and I was yeah. like, I'll I'll examine it, but I don't think I'll change my mind. <laughs> but will you? But will you change um, your mind? Well, it may be part of it. Part of it had part of it had to do. It was like a. Pr- it was a pretty. It, it had to, a lot to do with values about how we're dealing with our time. Mm. during this Mm -hmm. pandemic and so part Mm -hmm. of me was like I don't want us to go around policing how we spend the time that we have to spend in this house (laughs) like Mm -hmm. if you want to take three showers a day and I want to chop wood for an hour like I think we're just gonna let that be okay those weren't the topics but that was kind of like there was that mundane but yet it evoked a response but the response was more about like I have so little during this pandemic. Don't yeah. make me change what comforts me. You know, that's don't, totally fair. Don't I've, make I've, me change what comforts me. So I did think about it. I mean, I did examine yeah. it. Like he's a smart kid, a smart young man. And, um, but yeah, that is actually the thing. It isn't necessarily like a life change that will get to me. It'll be like yeah, some value or I found when it comes to uh, that place where things feel sticky, somebody mm-hmm. else's big changes feel sticky mm-hmm. to me because I have to change something small. Um, mm-hmm. I found that um, for me, I just sometimes I just have to sit with my discomfort on that. Like, um, you know, the, 
I think of many times when I discovered life worked in a different way than what I thought, or somebody had a relationship I didn't know about, or mm-hmm. um, any of these sort of things that are like not even about, they're not about me. I, mean, I, I think that you're, you're correct about these small things. And I do think that they have, they can, they can have to do with your own individual story, but those also then hold, they, those go into beliefs and value systems, right? So mm-hmm. fantasizing about mm-hmm. dating to getting married versus dating to never get, getting married. Yeah, dating to date. Or dating, or um, when you, you have a friend and then you find out that they voted for a candidate that you abhor and you're like, and you, you have a cognitive dissonance moment because now yeah. you've invested story, story time and love and affection and, and time with this person, but there's a here's a here's a nugget of something that doesn't fit. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you work with that? Do you mention it? Do you talk about it? Do you break up your friendship? Do you justify it? You know, because we've we've created all of these meanings, and so the change part can feel stuck, or there yeah. can be like you know, cognitive dissonance is a is a big one. Oh, it's a huge one. Cognitive dissonance gets in the way of a lot of acceptance because people's mm-hmm. discomfort is overwhelming. Um, yes. Julie, I love talking with you. <laughs> I love talking with you, too. It's I, a pleasure. Um, yeah, I love having you here. What uh, What is, to leave people with some final thoughts, what mm-hmm. is it that you would love to, I mean, you're on a podcast. What do you want people to know? <laughs> what do I want people to know? Um, <laughs> golly. I, you know, I'm, I want people to really think about what community means. Mm. I want people to think about, and, you know, what, what a sharing culture looks like, what it means to be a sharing community or an individualistic community, because people may have very good reasons for not wanting to do a thing or to do a thing. But, you know, how do we, how do we treat each other better through the process of, keeping each other safe and healthy you know thank you so much for sharing all of your thoughts on on change on community on adapting and your journey uh with improv i think you know we don't talk about postpartum depression enough in this country so i appreciate you sharing all of those things all of the all of the hormonal situations we don't talk about hormones are magic they can be angels or demons, and we uh, we don't. It's true for all any friend I've had who's transitioned. Uh, mm-hmm. Is is the whole thing about hormones? We should have a hormone podcast. Anyway, um, but yes, menopause, postpartum depression, any of it, puberty. It's yeah, it's, it's hard. We, I don't know why it's such a secret all the time when so many people go through it. Everybody goes through at least one of them. Yep. <laughs> I love you, Aiden. <laughs> Love you too. I really like this idea that Julie brought up, this relationship between storytelling and how we view ourselves in relationship to our work, our communities, and to simply filtering through the events that we experience in life. In fact, I often advocate to my clients that they make themselves the hero in their own story, which can be particularly helpful when interviewing for jobs, uh, when self-promoting or marketing, and of course, when just trying to figure out what it is you care about most in life. However, as Julie points out, 
there is plenty of room in life to explore what it means to play supporting roles, to play other characters in somebody else's story, to recognize when you've become the antagonist to somebody else's hero. I think this is a particularly important idea to explore as a leader, particularly if you're interested in collaborative leadership, because what would you rather to have everything hanging on your personal success or failure, or instead to look for opportunities to play that important supporting role for the members of your team so that they can rise and become the heroes in their stories, in turn supporting the longevity and success of your business, which becomes a story in and of itself. As in all matters of communication, storytelling, a little goes a long way. So I'm sure there will be opportunity in your life and mine to tell many kinds of stories. I want to hear from you. Have thoughts, feelings, sarcastic remarks, or a story to share based on listening to this episode? Help me keep the conversation going. Join the Facebook group, www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash change hub. Thank you to Julie for her stories and thoughts. Special thanks go to my family for their love, support, and patience. To all of the amazing Changed Podcast Patreon page members who I couldn't do this without. Art of Change Skills for Life and Patreon member producer, Dr. Rick Kirshner. Thank you to you for listening to the Change Podcast. I'm Aiden Nepom, and I wish you the kind of experiences in life you're excited to tell stories about.